You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Well, it's so good to be here with you today. We're in our series on Ephesians. Now we're kind of broken into three sections. We're in that section on the home, house divided. Week three, we're talking all to the wives today. So, men, my advice to you is no, mm-hmm, preach it. No amens, no elbows at particular moments in time. I highly recommend what you do is keep your mouth shut. You've learned this. You've been married for a length of time. Keep your hands to yourself and encourage your bride, okay? You're not going to lie to her like, oh, that's not you, honey. No, 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 no. You're going to look at her. You're going to say, honey, I believe in you. You're the best ever, all right? You're, you're amazing. You got this. And wives, I need a ton of grace, all right? I'm a man, and, and I look at the world through the eyes of a man. Uh, one female in my life, I was doing everything I could kind of this week to talk through things with different women. I had testing things out, and one female in my life, she said, you know what you should have done? You should have preached last week and had Rachel, my wife, preach this week. And I thought, well, that's a great idea. Rachel probably would not have loved that, um, being in front of all these people, but um, that's a really good idea. Then that same person came back the next day and said, you know what? <clears throat> you should probably have two or three ladies look over your message before you deliver it. And then I started to get even more anxious than I already was. Like, what am I missing? <clears throat> one of our volunteers sent an email to a, a staff member and said, you know, you should have had Todd preach this one. I thought, why didn't I think of that? That's cool. <clears throat> In all seriousness, ladies, I love you dearly. But we are getting into probably one of the hardest, and for some of you, the most painful verse in the entire Bible. And what I want to do is talk about why that verse is so painful and what I believe Paul means when he says it. So before I jump into that, I just want to share with you real quick. So I did as much re research as I possibly could do, okay? I read books, read articles, talked to ladies, watched videos. I did as much as I could possibly do. I will always be a man that's never going to change, but... But there is one resource, ladies, I want to recommend to you, and it's this book, Captivating, <clears throat> by John and Stacey Eldridge. Captivating by John and Stacey Eldridge. If you've never read it, go buy it. The, the tagline here is Unveiling the Mystery of a Woman's Soul. It, it helped me understand some things that maybe I was missing, some pieces that I needed as a part of the puzzle. And one of the things, men, I know most of you, you don't have time to read unless it's sports or news, and then you seem to always have enough time, but just saying, ladies, right? Am I right? <clears throat> One of the things I will say, men, is I grew as a husband. I became a better husband as I read this book because I had a better insight into what's going on in the soul of my wife. So I highly, highly, highly recommend it. I want to pray for the Spirit of God to sweep across this place, move in our hearts. And before I do that, I just want to throw out one more announcement real quick. So mark your calendar, November the 4th, we're having a parent seminar. November the 4th, a parent seminar. So for all of you who are parents or soon want to be parents, I want to recommend this for you. Next week, we'll give you more details. I just want you to save the date. Let's pray for God to move. Father in heaven, <clears throat> is your word, and God, I pray that that's all I'm delivering. As Rachel prayed over me in bed last night, as I was telling her I was anxious, God, she lifted up to you this prayer that I think is so beautiful. God, may all of the thoughts of men be eliminated from this message. May this truly be just from you. May your word speak for itself. May it encourage, convict, and build up everywhere it needs to. God, I pray that the men in this room will be deeply convicted as well today on how to be better husbands and fathers, as well as their wives, be better wives, wife, and mothers. And Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's just go ahead and read this uh, impossible text. And we'll start there. Ephesians chapter, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 21 to 24. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Did that hurt just reading that, ladies? Let's talk about why that's so painful for a moment. Part of the reason that this text is so hard for so many women is partly because of the abuse of so many men over the years. Let's just be honest. So if you go look at the data on how many women come from emotionally or verbally abused relationships, it is staggering. If you look at the data on how much um, cable and public TV uh, lends itself towards scenes describing or depicting the abuse of women, and I get it, sometimes Hollywood isn't telling us it's good, it's actually showing the horrendousness of it, but it's so common in our world today that it's as if we just accept it. Beyond that, I put a quote on Facebook, I think a week ago or so, and that quote said that of the... um, pornography that is out there, roughly one-fourth of it all has to do with the torture, the torture of women. Now, when you take all of this at a glance, it's not hard when you get to a text that talks about wives submitting to your husbands then to just to understand why this might be difficult for women to do. Submit to what? When somebody is verbally abusing you, physically abusing you, threatening you, or putting you in a place where you were terrified, how exactly are you supposed to submit? I mean, you've been taught to submit, but it's all out of fear. Then go beyond that, by the way, and let's just go into the church world for a minute. In many churches all across the United States over the last, I don't even know how many thousands of years, I'm not an expert in church history, but a long time, have abused this text to put women in their place. So some of you coming to our church come from very legalistic and controlling church backgrounds, and so therefore women are told to be seen and not heard. And they are quickly put in their place. And then we go and, and, and you know, cherry pick these other passages, especially things by Paul, a couple by Peter, and we bring them up and we throw them in people's faces. And what's really broken, both in our world as well as in the church, is this very concept of submission. As Todd so eloquently said two weeks ago, I'm really glad he kicked off this series and that I get to do this one. I am glad for that. But what he so eloquently said is that we are to mutually submit to each other. So what exactly does that mean? Well, the only way we can really understand what that means is for us to go back to the way it was supposed to look before everything fell apart. So if you will, let's just go all the way back to the book of Genesis real quick. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Now at this point, God has created everything we know, and he's made Adam, and there's not yet an Eve. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, churches have also abused this text as much as possible. We've often used the word helper, or you may have heard the word help meet. Any of you ever heard that? I think that's a King James translation. I was a, 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 a member of a Bible college student trying to understand these concepts, and I remember the Bible college prof saying this in a particular class, and I remember sitting there going, what does a help meet? Is that M-E-A-T? Because that's how a lot of women feel. Like, I don't understand exactly what that is. My, my wife tells me often, we have three crazy little boys, plus they have, she has one adult little boy in the house, and um, she often feels like a dispensing machine, you know, like come up, push a button, tell it what you want, and it's supposed to deliver. 
I wish you were only talking about the kids, but often this is how the wives and the mothers feel. So what exactly did God mean when he looked at Adam and said, this is not good. This is the first time in all of creation that it was not good. Day one is good. Day two is good. All the way through, it's good. But we get to Adam and his aloneness, and it's not good. And Adam feels it too. In fact, as Adam looks around, he notices all of the animals have twos. Whatever animals exactly existed in the garden, I can't say for certain. However, but if there were a male elephant, there's a female elephant. If there's a male lion, there's a female lion. But there's a male Adam, and there's no female Adam. And this creates a deep anxiety in Adam. So there's this perfect creation. There's no sin present. God walks with Adam. There's a maturity to their relationship. And yet Adam is alone because he has no Eve. So, so this word helper in the Hebrew is the word azer. Azer. It's actually followed up by the word azer connecto. So there are 20 other instances of this word in the Old Testament. And depending on which scholar you read, it gets a little deep here, but 16 of them clearly refer to God in very difficult and painful situations where Israel needed God to come through. This is the word that's used to describe him. And the other four, it is God coming through through another person. Do you start to get the picture, ladies? What God was creating for Adam was not something for him simply to come home to, was not something simply to remove his loneliness. What God was creating for Adam when he created Eve was truly the other half of himself. This Azer Kenigdo, who would be the one who would come alongside him and be this powerful force that would be needed desperately for life to continue on well. In fact, ladies, I want you to get this today, because I think so many of you feel beat down by the church especially. You represent God to the world. I don't want you to get that. You represent God to the world. So remember, in Genesis, it says, and God made them what? Male and female. Let's a little crowd participation. Okay, when I said be silent, I didn't mean like don't say anything. Help me out now. He made them male and female. And it says he made them, them, in his image. So men, you represent God to this world. When you show the world your courage, your bravery, your strength, your power. But women, you represent God to this world. So the question is how? You are no less an image bearer of God than the men in your lives. You are not secondary. You are not second nature. You are not an afterthought in the creative plan of God. You literally represent him. So what exactly does that mean? Well, one thing I think that means, if nothing else, is this. It means God made you to bring beauty to this grand adventure called life. God made you to bring beauty to this grand adventure called life. I want you to notice this as we continue reading this morning. I want you to notice this. The commands of God before sin entered the world were the commands for both Adam and Eve. Essentially, two major commands. Be fruitful and multiply. Adam could not have accomplished that on his own. That's a both of them thing. But why did God tell Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply? What they were to multiply is not just a moment of intimacy. What they were to multiply was image bearers. And Eve was going to bring life into the world. Think about that for a minute. 
Every man who's ever been in the hospital room in that moment knows there's at least one area of his life where his wife is stronger than him. Because we would have bowed out long ago. Like, if it were even possible, I don't care what you have to do, cut it out. This is not going to happen. I don't know how Arnold Schwarzenegger pulled it off way back when in that movie. All right, anyway. I recently... I mean, this is where I always get in trouble. Like, I go off script, right? I recently had to do some physical therapy. I was at a car accident, and uh, on the form it says, are you pregnant? So I just put a little smiley face. I thought, if I have to answer this, it might be. Anyway, all right, moving on. <laughs> oh, every man knows, every man knows his wife is stronger than him in that way. Because, ladies, even though you may not deal with pain in the same way that men do, God has given you an immense, an immense ability to deal with pain. An immense ability to deal with pain. But you bring beauty into this world. So I think for a moment, we just need to delve into exactly what that means. Just generically, men, this is the one question I ask you today you are absolutely allowed to answer. Who brings more beauty into the world, men or women? All right, let's just take a test. Men, do you think men bring more beauty into the world? Raise your hand. How many of you think women bring more beauty into the world? And every guy in the room says... Amen. God knew what he was doing. In fact, that was the exact words out of Adam's mouth when God puts Adam into a deep sleep and pulls Eve out of his side and creates her. He wakes up from the sleep. Before the sleep, no Eve. After the sleep, Eve. And the first words out of his mouth are, whoa, man. And now we have woman. And it's right there in the Bible. And he literally sings a love song over her. He sees her beauty. And he is awestruck. But there is no shame in the beauty. In fact, the Bible goes out of its way to say over and over and over again, they are naked and without shame. Because his eyes didn't gaze upon her body in some dispensing machine kind of way. He didn't look at her as if, I need you to fulfill me, or I need you to please me, or I need you to make me happy. He looked at her as if to say, this is breathtaking, and you are beautiful. Have you ever read those passages in the Psalms? especially where we talk about how beautiful God is. And it sounds, honestly, for a man, it kind of sounds so feminine. I don't think of God as beautiful. I think of God as awesome and powerful because I'm a man. But God describes himself as beautiful. Why? Because when he created woman, he created beauty. And you were to represent him on this earth. Let's take a look. Go back to Genesis with me. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Well, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Have you ever stopped to think for a minute what's going on in this text? 
So here we have Adam and Eve, they're now in the garden, and God has told them, do not eat, don't even touch the fruit from this one tree, stay away from it, enjoy everything else, but stay away from this one thing. I I wish I had time to dig into that theologically, I don't, but I want to point out this one thing I want you to grab onto, ladies. Is it all fascinating that Satan chose the woman to target? We're about to read in a couple verses that Adam is there with her, and after she takes the the fruit and eat, she gives it to Adam, so we know he is right there. But Satan, the serpent, didn't talk to Adam. He didn't target Adam. He targeted Eve. Does that ever bring up a question in your mind? Why? Might it be the answer to this question is the reason why we see so much abuse of women today? I believe with all my heart, and ladies, I need you to hear me say this, Satan is gunning for you specifically. Don't get me wrong. He hates your husbands just as much. But there's something about you that he feels threatened by. There's something about you that I think he feels intimidated by. If you were to track the very few passages, there aren't a lot that we have on Satan in the Old Testament. There's one particularly in Ezekiel that you'll find that really defines a little bit about what's going on. And what we learn in that text, as is, is weird and metaphoric as it is, is that Satan is beautiful, perhaps the most beautiful of God's spiritual beings. But his beauty in all of its splendor, we tend to think of Satan as this, you know, red, mean-looking, you know, evil Halloween kind of thing. That's not the way the Bible describes him. No, he is an angel of light. He is beautiful, and oh, is he deceptive. But why then would he go to Eve first? Is it because he's jealous of your beauty? Is it because he's gunning for you because he's the most beautiful of all the spiritual beings and yet in all of his glory, he does not even come close to representing the image of God like you do? So is it any surprise then, ladies, every time you look in the mirror that you think to yourself, I just don't measure up? You could be having a fantastic day, and all of a sudden, that little voice whispers in your ear, yeah, but. And ladies, this gets only reinforced on a regular basis, doesn't it? Through the TV, through the internet, through Facebook, through your parents, through your husbands. Those little comments, they don't even know how deeply they hurt. Or maybe they do, and they just don't. If you would just do this, if you could just cook like them, if you would just lose another, did you remember back when we used to, man, you were so much easier to live with then. How is it you stay home all day and you can't, I wish it could be more like them. Sometimes it's not a look because some of you men are, are really good at, 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 you know, not saying things that directly hurt. It's just that when your wife sees you lingering on an image on the TV and she notices the way you're staring at the other women, it hurts, doesn't it, ladies? Because your beauty is under attack. Your beauty is under attack by the evil one who knows how God made you, the purpose he made you for, and he wants to desperately mess it up. And men, if I can, for just a moment, can I encourage you for just a moment to hear what I'm saying for you? When your wives are feeling kicked around, beat down by the enemy, like they aren't good enough, they don't measure up. Your words have this profound ability to build them up, lift them up, to bring them out of the doldrums, to come alongside them and fight the battle for them, with them. But so many men, are lost in the moment when their woman needs them 
most. It makes sense because if you go back to Genesis, it's right there in the story. Take a look with me at verse 6. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. The very first husband of all time for his only wife. There's nobody else in the world for him to even look at and get jealous eyes. He's never had a jealous thought in his life. Sin has not entered the picture yet. But yet when she needed him most, he was passively standing there, disengaged. My heart breaks for so many of you wives. A few of you have reached out to me to say, what do I do after last week when I sat with my husband? And he wouldn't even ask me the question. Many of you celebrated going on my Facebook page or whatever. You're sending me little notes and messages of before we even left church. And, you know, it was after lunch and later on. And, and it was just great. I'm like, I'm so happy that your husband's stepped up to the plate and asked this hard question. How do I be a better prophet, priest, or king in my home? But my heart breaks for some of you ladies who are in a disengaged or loveless but please, rather than point a finger at your husband, realize this is a spiritual battle first and foremost. Your enemy is gunning for you, and he's going to try to attack you and bring you down any way you can. And if he has to go through your husband, so be it. That's the way he'll approach it. So ladies, if your husband will not fight for you, if your husband will not come to your assistance, if he will not be the warrior in your home, the spiritual warrior you need him to be, then the question is, what are you to do? I love this quote out of the book, Captivating. John and Stacy Eldred say this, Think of the great stories. In nearly all of them, the villain goes after the hero's true love. He turns his sights on the beauty. Magua, I'm probably going to say that wrong, goes after Cora and the last of the Mohicans. Longshanks goes after Murin and Braveheart. Commodus goes after Maximus' wife and gladiator. The witch attacks Sleeping Beauty. The stepsisters assault Cinderella. Satan goes after Eve. This explains an awful lot. It is not meant to scare you. Actually, it will shed light, so much light on your life story if you will let it. Most of you thought the things that have happened to you were somehow your fault. You deserved it. If only you had been prettier or smarter or done more or pleased them, somehow it wouldn't have happened. You would have been loved. They wouldn't have hurt you. But the truth of the matter is, we are engaged in a battlefield. And far too often the enemy is winning. He's winning because men tend to go to one of two extremes in relationship with women. And it all has to do with the insecurity of a man's heart. The two extremes are basically this, extreme passivity or an extreme aggressiveness. And both of them hurt tremendously, don't they, ladies? Extreme aggressiveness might look like the hitting, the threatening, the, the yelling, the screaming, the name-calling, the whatever it is. And some of you are like, I'm not in that kind of marriage. Praise God. But the opposite extreme is men who are passive, Adam types in the Garden of Eden, who stood by while their wife was attacked and did nothing to come to her assistance, and then took part in the sin, and then to make matters worse, took it even further. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. 
And when the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Notice who he calls to, men. Notice who he calls to. Who sinned first? Eve. Who does God call to for accountability? The man. He replied, verse 10, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Verse 11, who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Verse 12, the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. And everybody laughs because they're like, yeah, <laughs> my husband tried that one. And so after Eve fails and Adam isn't there to defend her, the very first thing he does is blame who? Eve. It's her fault. Did she make you eat the fruit? No. Did she open your mouth and shove it in there and shut your jaws on it? Did she punch you in the stomach so you'd swallow it? Well, no. But she did it first. Men, all right? Pause for a second. How many fights have you been in? You justified your own sinful behavior because of what she did first. I'm going to go ahead and say every single one. You were completely justified to look at that image on the computer. You were completely justified to spend that money that you knew you shouldn't spend. You were completely justified to do that thing, to go to that place, to have that drink. You were completely justified because if she hadn't, then I wouldn't have needed to. I'll tell you, as a pastor who occasionally does counseling, I hear that far too often. And all it is is the passivity of Adam having been passed down from generation to generation. Is it any surprise, ladies, that you struggle to submit to the leadership of your husbands? But we don't all want it to be that way, right? I mean, can we just all say for a minute, we all would like to actually follow what the Word of God says. We actually believe that it would be helpful and effective. So what do we need to do? Well, I just want to quote again the book, Captivating. I thought it does a great job. The longing in the heart of a woman to share life together as a great adventure, that comes straight from the heart of God, who also longs for this. He does not want to be an option in our lives. He does not want to be an appendage, a tag-along, neither does any woman. God is essential. He wants us to need him desperately. Eve is essential. She has an irreplaceable role to play. And so you'll see that women are endowed with fierce devotion, an ability to suffer great hardships, and a vision to make the world a better place. Hang on to that. Because men, one of the things you've been struggling with your entire lives, life, with your wife or girlfriend or whichever it is, wherever you are in this situation, you've been struggling to figure her out. And you can't seem to figure her out. Have you noticed that? Like, you know, you, you pull out a, a, a something that's broken and you twist something here and you turn something there and you adjust something there and all of a sudden it works. And it's like, that's how you look at life. This isn't hard, right? Just pull out the nail. However, then in a relationship with a wife or a girlfriend, you find it very complex and very difficult. But remember, what she brings into the world is a representation of the image of God. She isn't something or someone to be fixed. She's something someone to be pursued in the same way that God desperately wants you to pursue him. Did you know that scriptural? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God above all else, and he will add everything else to your life. Your wife wants to be that for you. 
She doesn't just want to be the thing that happens after the football game. She doesn't want to be the thing that comes to you after work. She wants to be a significant part of you. Now, part of what I'm doing in this moment, ladies, give me grace, is I'm about to give you some wisdom, but I want to coach the men up. If you live your lives in isolation from the women in your life, what you communicate to them is you were better off in the garden alone. And yet Adam knew how desperately he needed an Eve. The sooner men you come to realize that she plays a significant role in the beauty and the adventure of your life, the sooner you could get back to the way that God intended it to be before this fall where Adam and Eve walked in the garden and there was nothing between them that created shame. He only spoke words of encouragement and love. She only came alongside him in the journey. Not only were they to multiply the image of God, but they were to advance the garden to the ends of the earth. That's literally the kingdom of God. The garden is the place where God ruled creation. And God tells Adam, I want you to take this and move beyond here. So as you're multiplying the image bearers, this isn't going to contain them. They're going to have to take this and subdue the rest of creation. That was a mandate for men and women. It was an adventure to go on together. That's why men, you should probably not take a mission trip unless your wife goes with you. There may be exceptions to that because of kids or other things, but take her with you. You should not get engaged in ministry unless somehow she could be a part of the ministry, the celebration, the prayer, the support, whatever it is. But whatever area of your life you say, I'm not going to have you be a part of it, she's going to feel left out in the adventure. I'll never forget this day. My wife and I had had this big blow-up fight, um, and I don't remember the specifics now. I just remember this. It was like a week later, we were watching the TV show, King of Queens. Have you guys ever seen King of Queens? Okay, I know I'm old. I'm dating myself. They're back on TV in a different way. Anyway, King of Queens. And I remember we were uh, watching it, and they joined a bowling league. He was already in bowling league, and she wanted to join, so he told her to join. Turns out she was terrible, and the team kept losing because of her. And the rest of the team kept coming to him and saying, you got to get her off the team. He's like, it's my wife. How can I get her off the team? So he goes to her, and she gets mad because he's sticking up for his friends instead of for her. So he goes to his friends. He says, guys, because there's no way for me to really solve this, I'm going to quit the team. And he goes home, and his wife is livid. What are you doing? Why are you quitting the team? And he said, I thought that's what you wanted. And she says, no, I didn't want you to quit the team. I just wanted you to be willing to quit the team. And I looked at my wife, and I said, oh, is that what you meant? <laughs> she said, yes. I'm like, I still don't get it. But it's funnier when they do it. <laughs> Your wife doesn't want to be a tag-along. She wants to be the other half of you. And men, you find so many ways to stiff arm your wife and keep her out. And this, just be honest, it goes to your insecurity. If I let her in, will she find that I don't have what it takes? Will she find that I'm not enough? Because when I let her in, and I'm really honest, and I'm really vulnerable, that sometimes I struggle. When I let her in, that I don't always have all the answers. And when I let her in, that I'm afraid, too, about this thing or whatever it is. When I'm describing a situation at work that makes me feel like less of a man or whatever the thing is that you're dealing with, will I let her in enough to really be a part? Because she's my azer connecto. She is my great helper, especially in times of need. But we go back to the garden and we act like Adam and we leave the women in our lives feeling left out. And it doesn't have to be that way. 
Take a look at what happens next. God comes down out of heaven. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. This is the NASB. I want you to get this. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. The NASB is probably the most accurate translation. That's why I brought it. You can go look up this. It says basically the same thing in all the translations. But I love the way this says it because it's the most accurate translation of the Hebrew. And he will rule over you. The message version of the Bible says it this way. You'll want to please your husband, your husband, but he'll lord it over you. So why is Ephesians 5 so hard? Because we have far too many men who have the position of authority, but they lord it over their wives and their children. They use that position as a power play to get what they want instead of connecting the dots and using it for what Jesus intended, which was for you to be the lead servant in your home and for her to be your great helper. I told you last week, the goal, the reason, the way that God created marriage was so that men, you would plug into God and the power, the life that God offers would flow through you and your family could plug into you. But what far too many men do is shut off the power so that there's nothing there when their family plugs in, their spouse plugs in, or they disengage from God and they pull away and they believe arrogantly they could do it on their own. And so many women go to get into that thing and there's nothing there for them. There's no life. Now, for those of you women who are in great marriages, perfect marriages, no, because you're married to a sinner, all right? So is my wife. Don't feel bad. But for those of you who are in a place of great pain or sorrow or grief or suffering or whatever it is, I want to give some wisdom. This wisdom will be for everybody, but I really want to focus on you for a minute. So when your husband or the man in your life is not plugging into God and you don't have him to go to to get what you are needing, the good news is you can go directly to the source. The good news is you can go directly to God yourself. In fact, Paul teaches about this. If you want to use this little analogy here, I don't know if you could see that. I guess you could see that. You could go directly in and then your family and even possibly your spouse could plug into you. In fact, if you go read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I believe it is, maybe it's 2 Corinthians 7. I always get my Corinthians mixed up. But I think it's 1 Corinthians 7. Paul gives advice to husbands and wives about marriage. And he basically says, whether you're a husband or a wife, if you're married to, say, an unbelieving spouse, you can make the same application to a spouse who's not stepping up their game and walking in the way they should be. What you do is you be faithful to God because through your holy and righteous living, you will actually bring holiness to your own children. You can actually bypass the guy who's supposed to be there for you, and you can plug right into God yourself, and you will find that your children and possibly even your spouse finds the Lord and the power that he gives through you. Praise God. You don't have to be alone. You may feel alone. You may feel isolated. You may feel unloved. You may feel unsupported, but you don't have to be alone. This goes for even wives who are in great marriages when your husband is in a dry spout. When he is not seeking the Lord, he's pulled away from God, he's turned him off for whatever the reason being, or he's given too much to everything else that isn't important, and you find he's not there, you can go right to the source, you can plug right into God, and he will meet all of your needs. And in that way, ladies, what I want to do is just give you some quick advice on how best to make that a reality in your life, and in your marriage, and in your home, okay? So what I want to do is I want to just take a look. If you're following along my notes, I have way too much here, so I'm cutting and pasting as we go. So what I want to do real quick is I just want to give you the model of Jesus, okay? 
So realize, Jesus came to earth, God in the flesh. He was a man. And so I think by nature, sometimes ladies think, well, then I can't relate with Jesus because he's a man. What's amazing is when you study Jesus, he looks like the perfect man, meaning he is really representative of man and woman. When you study Jesus, ladies, don't just think of him as a man acting like a man. Yes, there are times he's turning over tables and looks like an angry person, pulling out a whip and hitting people. Maybe he looks a little bit like a man. But there are also profound times of great tenderness and compassion and nurturing and tears. And he looks like he's showing the emotions and the care and the concern of a woman. You think just for a moment about the story of the rich young ruler, this arrogant man who has lots of wealth, and he comes to Jesus, says, what do I need to do to get into heaven? And Jesus says, sell everything you own, and give it to the poor. And the man is so filled up with the stuff, he just leaves. Most men would be like, oh, yeah, is that how you want to be? But it says Jesus looked at him and had compassion on him. It sounds a whole lot more like the women in my life that I know. So, ladies, when you look at Jesus, you see a model for how to be a godly woman in your home. Here's three things I want you to hang on to to learn from Jesus. Number one, I want you to seek to become like Jesus, modeling his humility. Seek to become like Jesus, modeling his humility. What does Paul tell us in Philippians 2? That even though Jesus is God, he did not consider equality with God as something to attain to. Instead, he gave up himself and became a servant. Ladies, Study Jesus. You are equal to your husbands in the same way Jesus is equal to the Father. However, Jesus did not consider anything to try to get desire and power and authority and control for himself. Instead, he humbly followed the Father's lead. Study Jesus and become like him. Number two, speak. You're going to notice these rhyme, and the third one was really bad, but I ran out of words. Seek. And speak, speak like Jesus, who spoke the truth while full of compassion and respect. Speak like one who is full of compassion and respect. Notice over and over again when Jesus is speaking to others, he never dumbs down the speech. He speaks the truth and he speaks it, as the Bible says, in love. It, it is not evil or wrong or sinful or disrespectful to speak the truth to your husbands husband i'm gonna mess that up this whole series aren't i <laughs> to your husband here let me just give a quick analogy so i'm working with a couple and they're very young in the marriage but they both come from profound wounds profound both of them profound wounds and so they don't ever have communication when things break down they literally just don't talk about it because inside, though they can't see it yet, they're so deeply afraid of the other person walking like every other situation in their life. Their parents, their, their former spouses, they're so afraid they're going to walk that they just don't bring up hurts. And even though each of them have been deeply hurt by something the other one has said or done, they don't ever discuss it. That is not at all what the Bible calls for you to do when it says submit to your husbands. Ladies, it is biblical and it is okay to speak the truth, but you're going to speak it in respect and honor and in love. And you study Jesus every time he speaks to somebody. As I referenced that rich young ruler, he did it with great respect. Even though the man is out of whack, even though he doesn't have his priorities straight, he does it with gentleness. So ladies... What does it mean when your husband does something that hurts to say to him, you know that hurts me when you say that. You know that hurts me when you do that. Now consider for a moment, what would it mean to honor and respect my husband 
Would I do that in front of the kids? Maybe, depending on what he's doing in the moment, or maybe the conversation needs to come later so that he doesn't feel that need to defend himself and to rise up. Occasionally, my wife will wound me in front of my kids, and I, my shame gets in the way because I know deep down I blew it. But honestly, she's right, and that makes it even worse because it only happened like twice. So, you know, when it happens, <laughs> you have to admit it, and she's not here, and so this is safe. But most of the time, my wife is wise, and she'll bring me in the other room, or she'll wait until bedtime, or she'll call me, whatever, into the laundry room, and she'll say, I hurt. You know, I hurt when you told me you'd be home at 5, and it's 5.10. You didn't even call, you just showed up late, and you assumed I'd be okay with it. I, you know, I, I, I had this thing, and it went over, and it was my fault, and I'm sure it wasn't, but you still told me 5. We're waiting dinner, and it's cold now. It's okay to speak the truth. My wife recently started using this phrase over and over. She said, you know, it's hard to trust you sometimes when you tell me you're going to do something and it doesn't happen. The first time she said it, I was like, <laughs> the third time she said it, I went, okay, you're saying the same thing over and over again. So somewhere you read a book, you had a conversation, somebody's coaching you. And she said, yep. And I said, this hurts. Why are you using the word trust? She goes, because that's how I feel. I didn't know. I didn't know that when I was doing these little things that to me weren't that big of a deal and I could justify every single one of them, that that's what it was doing to her. Because I love my wife, I don't want her to ever feel like she can't trust me. So guess what I did? I started changing. Now, I realize for some of you, I realize for some of you, that's not going to be your story. You've tried. You've communicated. And what you get back is anger and defensiveness and aggression and lack of love, a man who doesn't look like Jesus to you at all. Third thing. Weak. Weak. When you feel weak and your husband is struggling in his leadership, I want you to pray to your heavenly father. I want you to go back to the garden. I want you to picture Jesus in the garden before the cross, okay? And what did he do? When the plan ahead looks like it's going to be painful, when the plan ahead looks like it's going to be suffering involved, what did Jesus do? He went straight to the father. He plugged in. He said, I need your help. He begged God, if there's any other way, can we just go that direction instead? And what did the father do? We're told, especially in Luke, but I believe also in John, that God sent angels to minister to him. Man, I wonder what that looked like. I mean, here's Jesus pouring out uh, blood and sweat mixed together because he's so stressed out about the future. And God shows up. He literally sends angelic beings to somehow serve Jesus. And Jesus gets up from there with great strength, and he carries out the mission. Ladies, there are going to be times in your marriage you're going to feel weak, like you don't have what it takes. And following this man is going to be hard and painful. And all I need you to hear me say in this moment is, God has not left you. He's not abandoned you. He won't quit on you. Get back in the game. This is not a message about physical abuse. I just want to add, if you have a man who is physically abusing you, emotionally abusing you, verbally abusing you, I want to encourage you ladies to seek help. Let somebody with wisdom who's not in the situation, like a pastor or a counselor, coach you through how to handle that, okay? I am not saying just go in and let him beat you and abuse you. That's not what I'm saying. But I am talking about those of you who are in a tough marriage, like some of the emails that I've received this week. Your job is to go to your heavenly father and you pray for him. 
So a couple weeks ago, uh, my wife was coaching someone else on marital stuff, and she gave this advice. You know what you do when your husband's not listening? And, and then I overheard her say, sometimes I'll go and ask God to intercede. And then it's amazing how sometimes Matt will come to me a couple weeks later and say, God's really been convicting me of this. And I went, oh, that's not fair. <laughs> you cheated. <laughs> and she kind of smiled and I said, that's all right, I did it to you too. <laughs> Listen, remember, this is a spiritual battle first and foremost. Ladies, you cannot make your husband follow God. Nagging him isn't going to change the situation. I know that's hard to imagine. But the more you beg and push and annoy and keep bringing it up, you know what he's going to do? He's going to run or he's going to fight. And you're not going to get the response you want. But what you can do is continue to speak the truth in love and pray. And ask God to intercede and go to him and just say, hey, you're welcome to come with me. Hey, I'd love for you to go with us. And I realize for some of you, you're sitting next to the man who has made you feel this way right now. This is still true today. As we are just about to go into communion time, you can literally lift his name up to heaven. You can reach over, just put a hand on his knee or on his back, and you could just lift him up right now. Maybe you shouldn't do that, but you can pray, God, would you intercede in this moment through Matt's words, through this message? Instead of my husband feeling attacked and beat down, would you help him to understand this is a spiritual battle and I need him? to fight with me, to fight for me. I need him, God, help him to see how much I want to be a part of this thing called life, this journey together. Make his eyes be opened. But God, if he doesn't or he doesn't yet, then God, would you give me the strength to follow you anyway? That's why Paul closes out with this. Ephesians chapter 5, 31. As the scriptures say, A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Verse 33, so I say again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I want to pray over you ladies right now. Men, Whether you have been a great leader or a weak leader up to this point, I want to encourage you right now to just grab your wife's hand, put your arm around her, and let's just bathe in this prayer for a minute. Father God, the women in this room for various places and at various times have struggled with the leadership of the men in their lives. Sometimes it's an angry or abusive father or a teacher or an ex-boyfriend or a husband. Sometimes it's the man who's with us right now. God, for the ladies who that's their story, my prayer right now, Father, is that you would reveal to them what a perfect and loving husband you are, what a perfect and loving father you are. You are the embodiment, the representation of love and tender care and strength for them. And you have made them to represent your beauty to this world. You have made them to be this phenomenal Azer Konegdo, this assistant in times of stress and hardship and trouble, this person beside us, our true partner. Oh, Father, I pray for the women in this room that the men who are sitting near them would protect them and love them and care for them. Father, for the single ladies in this room, 
Some will never get married again by choice or by life. God, would you continue to be their perfect husband? God, for the ladies in this room who long to be married and just haven't met Mr. Right, God, I pray right now that you would teach them to rest in you. You are still their perfect husband, always will be. Meanwhile, prepare that man for that day. And God, for the wives, I pray, God, that you would give them the strength to respect their husbands even when they don't agree with the way that he's leading. May they seek you and find themselves plugged into you that their kids and their families and this community be transformed. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior.